Father, we are so thankful for, for your love for us, your kindness, your mercy, and your grace, that you looked upon our pitiful, sinful state and you sent your son Jesus to die for our sins. And he willingly bore our sins in his body on the cross, and he died and he rose from the dead, and he is at your right hand. We thank you for your son. Father, we thank you for a time to worship you and to praise you and to give you glory to your name. And I pray we would continue to do so, that uh, you would prepare our hearts to receive your word, that we would allow you to speak to us through your word, by your spirit, that we might become more like your son, Jesus. Lord, we commit this time to you and we pray for it in your son's precious name. Amen. Well, are you a Christian? Would you say, I believe in Jesus Christ? Well, if you've truly come to faith in Jesus Christ, you have come into a wonderful relationship in which we have the forgiveness of sins. And I was just thinking a minute ago of 1 John chapter 2, where John says, I'm writing these things that you may not sin. But if you do sin, I'm paraphrasing, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous. Jesus has paid the full price for our sins. We are so blessed and we now can walk with the living God because of what Christ has done. Now, if you have a relationship with the living God, if you've been born again, you're going to, in some manner, reflect his nature. You see, God is holy, God is just, and God is righteous. And if we are abiding in him, we're going to manifest his righteousness in relationships. Not perfectly, not always, but when we trust in him. And within that, the reality is that the world, those who don't know Christ, are against Christ, whether they understand it or not. Jesus made it clear that if the world hates you, basically know that it hated me first, right? And he said, we shouldn't marvel if the world hates us. Now, Paul said, indeed, those who desire to live godly will be persecuted, So if you're following Jesus Christ, there are times in which, if God might will, that we will be persecuted for doing what is right. Whether it's in a work situation where you're obeying the Lord and doing what is right. Whether it's in a relationship, you're obeying the Lord, doing what is right. Whether it's in church, you're obeying the Lord, doing what is right. Whatever it might be, we do and we do suffer at times. And there may be some of you suffering right now for doing what is right right and the temptation when that suffering becomes great is to uh give up is to walk away from stuff whatever it might be temptations within that to uh to worry to fear what might happen you see if you're suffering maybe you're going to lose your job it's tempting to worry about that isn't it if you're suffering and a relationship has gone astray because you've trusted the lord it's tempted to worry about that Whatever it might be, it's tempted to worry about the temporal suffering that has come upon you. So as we enter into persecution for Christ's sake, how are we to respond? How are we to respond to the temptations that come upon us when we're suffering for Christ? Today we're going to see uh, some of Paul's, or excuse me, Paul's, Peter's final instructions for the suffering sojourner. And it's within this we're going to see that we are to humbly submit to God because he's in control and he cares and he cares would you turn with me in your bibles to first peter chapter five and we're going to be looking at verses five through seven now if you've been with us on our journey through first peter you're aware that peter is writing to believers in asia minor those who have been born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. He has revealed that we are strangers, we are aliens, we are sojourners in this land. We are resident aliens. We reside here, but our citizenship is in heaven. This world is not our home, and in light of the hostility that comes our way, we need to keep our eyes focused on the person of Christ. He's relayed the reality of the great salvation that we have in Jesus Christ. And that we are to rejoice in that salvation even when God allows temporal sufferings because he's actually using those to purify us. That we would be able to rejoice even more when we see Christ when he comes. He made it clear that we are to, in light of our salvation in Christ, fix our hope on Christ. Fix our hope on him alone 
and the glory to be revealed, the grace to be brought to us of the revelation of Jesus Christ, to be holy because he is holy, to live in the context of godly fear because he sent his son to shed his blood, the price paid to deliver us from our former way of life inherited from our forefathers. We have been born again to a love for the body of Christ. And the Lord God is commanding us to yearn for his word that we might grow in respect to salvation because he is doing an amazing thing. He is building us up as a spiritual house. We, the priests, to offer spiritual sacrifices to him. You see, we were once not his people, but now we are his people. We had once not received mercy, but we have received mercy that we might proclaim the excellencies of him who called us out of darkness into his marvelous light. And within that, we had some application to the reality of what we are to be doing. That we are to not, uh, we are to stake far from fleshly lusts which wage war with our souls. We are to, uh, as alien and strangers, as temporary residents, stay away, keeping our behavior excellent among Gentiles. So that in that very thing they slander us in, they might glorify God in the day of visitation. We are to submit to the authority that God has allowed in our lives, governing authorities, the slave master authority, because we're following in the footsteps of Christ. And in his footsteps, he suffered according to the will of God to bring about our redemption. And he entrusted himself to the one who judges righteously. He uttered no threats. He he didn't revive and return, but he kept trusting himself to the one who judges righteously. And God used his obedience to the point of death to bring about our salvation. In the same way, God is working through us redemptive opportunities, even in the midst of suffering. Therefore, wives likewise are to submit to their husbands without fear. And all of us are to be like-minded. Husbands live in an understanding way. And all of us are to be like-minded, sympathetic, brotherly, kind-hearted, knowing that God's ears are attentive to the prayers of the righteous. We're not to be intimidated by persecution, but do what is right. We're to set Christ apart as Lord in our hearts, being ready to give an account for the hope that we have. We're to keep a good conscience, uh, for it is better to suffer for doing what is right than to suffer for sin. And we need to understand again that our suffering brings about temporal opportunities for God's redemptive purposes. We need to arm ourselves, chapter 4, with the same purpose as Christ, thinking about our suffering rightly knowing that we don't live the way we used to live. We don't offer ourselves to sin like we used to. And those who we used to do that with now malign us, but they will give an account because God is ready to judge the living and the dead. And because the end of all things is at hand, we are to be of sober spirit. And for the purpose of prayer, we're to be stretching out in love above all for one another. And we are to be serving one another and we saw we're not to be surprised at the fiery ordeal that comes upon us for our testing as though some strange thing were happening. But to the degree we share the sufferings of Christ, keep on rejoicing. We shouldn't be suffering as, uh, as for sin, but suffering for the truth and the reality of walking with the living God. If that's the case, we are blessed. And yet, even though God allows this difficulty to come upon us now, if he would allow that to his children, how much more to those who reject and do not obey the gospel of God? The reality is God is doing a good thing in us, and yet it is difficult. And therefore, within the midst of that, we are to entrust our souls to a faithful creator in doing what is right. And we came into chapter 5 where we really have uh, kind of his last encouraging words to the body of Christ to those who are suffering. We saw, first of all, to um, elders, to shepherd the flock of God, to shepherd it with right motives, to share the word of God. We saw what shepherding was, feeding and protecting those in your care with the right motives, with a focus on the chief shepherd, a focus on the chief shepherd. And now it's from this point we come to his final exhortations, which involve the body of Christ. And within them, they are incredibly encouraging. I want to read from 1 Peter 5, 1 through 11, the whole portion, because that's the whole section. And then we're going to look specifically at 5 to 7. But we need to realize it's all together. When we get into this next portion where we see, uh, Lord willing, next week that we are to uh, you know, be on the alert for our adversary the devil, that portion, it's connected to what we're seeing today. Don't forget that. But this is one portion of it. 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 1, Therefore I exhort the elders among you, 
as your fellow elder and witness of the sufferings of Christ. He says, therefore, uh, in light of entrusting your soul to a faithful creator and doing what is right in the midst of suffering, right? He says, therefore, as your fellow elder, notice the humility of Peter, and a witness of the sufferings of Christ and partaker of the glory that is to be revealed, shepherd the flock among you. Feed the flock, protect the flock among you, of God among you, it's his flock exercising oversight, not under compulsion, but voluntarily according to the will of God and not for sordid gain, but with eagerness, not yet as lording over it over those allotted to your charge, but proving to be examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. Elders continue to do what is right. Shepherd under Christ. Do the right thing, no matter how difficult it gets. No matter how bad the persecution gets, do the right thing. And then notice we have our passage. You younger men, likewise, be subject to your elders. And all of you clothe yourselves with humility towards one another. For God is opposed to the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, that he may exalt you at the proper time, casting all your anxiety or cares upon him because he cares for you that's our passage five through seven but i want to keep reading be of sober spirit be on the alert your adversary the devil prowls about like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour but resist him firm in your faith knowing that the same experiences of suffering are being accomplished by your brethren who are in the world and after you have suffered for a little while the god of all grace who called you to his eternal glory in christ will himself perfect confirm strengthen and establish you to him be dominion forever and ever. Amen. So what are we to do when we suffer for doing what is right? We'll see later on that we do suffer and we need to confess when it's for sin, yes. But what are we to do when we are following the Lord and we are suffering for it? We're maybe tempted to become discouraged, tempted to become worried about what people say or think or have done. What, what, what are we to do? What are we to do? Again, maybe it's in a marriage, maybe it's at work, maybe it's in your family, maybe it's at church, whatever it might be, tempted to fear, give up, worry, what are we to do? Well, today, let's see what God wants us to do. Notice Peter is speaking in contrast to the leadership now to um, everyone else, but he begins with the younger, actually. Verse 5, you younger men, likewise be subject to your elders. I believe we're going to see likewise as elders are to function properly within what God has called them to do, younger men are to function properly in the context of what he's called them to do, which is submit to their elders. And we're going to see, I think it speaks specifically more even of younger. He says, you younger men likewise be subject to your elders. Seems pretty straightforward, but yet there are some nuances here I want to share. Now, the first thing we need to recognize in, in the original language, it doesn't have the term men, but that doesn't mean it isn't wrong to translate it men. It's the term translated younger, and it is in a masculine form, which you could very rightly translate that younger men. But there are other places where it's just translated in general younger. Uh, you might see that in some different versions. I think the New King James has it that way. Uh, the younger, he doesn't say younger men. Now, it's, it's my thought that it certainly includes the younger, but it certainly primarily could include the younger men, obviously, as we're going to see young men are those who probably have the most difficulty and temptation not submitting to their elders. It's probably the case. But I take it in general that it could certainly be speaking of younger people. There's something that's very valid about that understanding, not specifically just men. So what does he say here? You younger men, or you younger, literally younger Likewise, be subject to your elders. Just place yourself in subjection. The Greek word translated be subject, hupotasso, we've seen it before. Hupo means under, tasso means to order or arrange. It speaks of ordering under, lining oneself up under something. It was used in a military sense of soldiers lining up behind their commanders obviously submitting to their superior officers. The word does carry in this context and throughout Scripture the idea of giving up one's rights or will and lining up under the authority of another. The authority of another. Now this word does not address personhood, but it addresses position. 
it addresses position. Keep this in mind. The key idea relating to submission is authority. Authority. God has instituted authority in relationships, and with it in that authority, he calls for submission. We see that. He has ordered and ordained relationships. Now, besides, el- or besides what we see here, uh, submitting to elders, as we'll see in a minute, God has ordained many other ordered relationships in Scripture, and all of them include submission. We saw in 1 Peter chapter 2 that servants are to be submissive to their masters with all respect. 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 1 and 5, and also Ephesians 5.24 and Colossians 3.18, wives are to submit or be subject to their husbands. And 1 Peter makes it clear here, obviously the young men are to submit to their elders. Now indeed we have the reality that the church is to submit to Christ, Ephesians 5. We all are to submit to God, James chapter 4, verse 7. We're going to look at that later. And we see in Romans chapter 13 and Titus 3 that we are all to submit to the governing authorities that God has allowed and placed in our lives for the punishment of evildoers. Now these days, unfortunately, in our free culture, it seems like submission is a dirty word. And why is this? Because submission is totally contradictory to our own will, and that's our flesh. Our flesh wants its way. And indeed, I believe we're going to see that that a lack of submission reveals pride and arrogance. Where we see submission, by the way, we see uh, humility and pride close by. Uh, We'll see that. Turn to James chapter 4, and we're going to look at this passage a couple times today, so keep your finger there in James chapter 4, and we'll also be looking in 1 Peter 5. James chapter 4, and it's interesting because we're going to see a lack of humility related to a lack of submission. And the solution is submission, in this case, and repentance. James chapter 4, and it's speaking of those who are committing spiritual adultery, those who are friends with the world. They're, they're friends with the system of doing it my way, me, myself, and I. They've, they've yielded to those things. And then James says in chapter 4, verse 5, or do you think the scripture speaks to no purpose? He jealously desires the spirit which he has made to dwell in us. But he gives, James 5, 6, a greater grace. Therefore, it says, God is opposed to the proud, but gives grace to the humble. We're going to see that in our passage today. The same quote. Same quote. He says, uh, submit, therefore, to God. Because God is opposed to the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Submit, therefore, to God. Submission and humility are hand in hand. Now, there can be a bogus prideful submission we've seen that an outward submission where one makes it seem like they're submitting but in their heart they're far from it this is a heart attitude as we will say you know in the end of that portion james he says humble yourselves in the presence verse 10 of the lord and he will exalt you we see that too we see that passage too in ours indeed we see in our passage in first peter chapter 5 that submission and humility go hand in hand and we're going to see what humility is sometimes the first step to humility is repentance that's what we see in james now in first peter we're not going to see that first step of humility here because it's assumed they're suffering for doing what is right they're doing what is right but we need to recognize both those things so back to our passage in first peter chapter five and just on a side note when we don't submit it's a sign of pride it's a sign of pride Okay, okay. so verse 5, you younger men, or could be younger, likewise be subject to your elders. Likewise. Remember we saw in chapter 5, verses 1 to 5, we read it a minute ago, that the Lord has given certain men the aspiration for overseers, uh, 1 Timothy 3, and they have been appointed by the uh, Spirit-led requirements in 1 Timothy chapter 3 and Titus chapter 1. They are men that reflect the nature and character of Christ. Not perfect, but uh, meet those qualifications that God has called to shepherd the flock by feeding the flock the word of God and protecting from threats, all while focusing on Jesus Christ with the right motives. And within that, he says to these younger, place yourself under your elders. And ultimately, it's submit to God because God has placed them there. 
He says, you younger men, likewise, submit, be subject. And it's an imperative command. God is not suggesting and he's not saying, think about it. He's saying, do it. Now, the assumption is we are all to submit. We see that in other places. But here, obviously, the younger might have more of a temptation not to do so. You younger, be subject to your elders. He says, likewise. Now, this term likewise is not a statement of equivalence, which sometimes we can make a mistake interpreting. It's not saying likewise, be elders. It's saying likewise, in the same manner, elders submit to God in shepherding and obeying him and focusing on the chief shepherd. In the same way, you younger men, likewise, submit to God and obey his word. In the same way. The same way. You see, your elders are subjecting themselves to Christ. And we all do in this context. So then, younger, be subject to your elders. And as we're going to see later on, God is using this to protect us. He cares for us. He is the good shepherd, not the bad shepherd. He's the good shepherd. And he uses his under-shepherds to protect those in whom he loves. Submit for your own good. For your own good. Be subject to your elders. Submit humbly. Submit to God by submitting to your leadership. We saw in Hebrews chapter 13 that certainly all of us are to be submitting to the leadership that God places for the protection of us. Hebrews 13, 17, obey your leaders and submit to them. Why? For they keep watch over your souls as those who will give an account. Let them do this with joy and not with grief, for that would be unprofitable for you. You see, the problem is pride. We think we know more than God, and we think we know more than the way that he does things by having people spiritually lead us. And we have pride. We have a problem with that. We think we know better. And rather than humbly submitting to his leaders, and thus him, we decide to do our own thing. And God realizes we have that temptation. And he says, you younger, submit. Place yourself under their authority. Younger men, voluntarily place yourself under the authority of your leaders and do it with the right heart. It's always with the right heart. It's never a forced submission. I shared the story. Someone, after when they were leaving, said, I've submitted to you for seven years. And I thought, that's not submission. Your heart's totally wrong. And it's not submission to me. It's submission to God. It's obedience to his word. All we're sharing is his word. Just obey this. It's from a right heart that realizes that God has declared this for us, and I want to obey. I want to obey. Okay, so at this point, notice Peter transitions from speaking from elders to young men or younger, and he speaks to all of us. Look at our verse again in chapter 5, verse 5. You younger men, likewise, be subject to your elders. Then notice this. And all of you clothe yourselves with humility towards one another. For God is opposed to the proud, but gives grace to the humble. You know, it's interesting. Some interpreters have said this should start a new verse in the, right here where it says, in all of you. They say it's a new subject, and, I, I, and it's not connected. I actually think it is connected. And the reason why I think it's connected is because in the Greek text, there is a conjunction. There is one. Sometimes the, the interpreters will put an and in there to kind of think this is what, the way they think it's going to be. Here, specifically, there is a conjunction connecting this portion about submitting to your elders... And then this portion, and all of you. And all of you. Now, the New King James, I think, misses it here. They, they put, instead of an and, they say yes. They put the word yes in there. I think that's a bad translation. In literally Greek, and. And. All of you. You younger, this. And all of you, this. All of you, this. And all of you, notice the command. This is for each and every one of us believers. If you name the name of Christ, God is commanding us through his word. He says here, and all of you clothe yourselves with humility towards one another. This is an amazing command. You see, we're going to see if we don't obey God in these areas, we're going to be overtaken by the troubles that come towards us when we do the right thing. You see, when we do the right thing and then we suffer for it, we're tempted then to Maybe not uh, see things rightly, to not listen rightly and to not respond rightly to others around us. Notice what he's going to say here. And all of you clothe yourselves with humility towards one another. 
And this word, speaking of clothe yourselves, and there's different words in Scripture that speak of clothing, you know, put on clothing. This is a unique word only in this passage here. And it actually speaks of basically um, putting on clothing with a tie, with a tie. And what it spoke of specifically was putting on a servant's apron. Put it on. Put on the servant's apron of humility, we're going to see. Clothe yourselves. And it gives us a better aspect of what's going on here. And notice he says, clothe yourselves. And it's actually in a tense in the Greek that says, just complete the action. Put it on. Put it on. Like you would put a jacket on, put that jacket on. But here, put on the servant's apron of, he says, humility. Clothe yourself as a servant with, what does he say here, humility. Now it's interesting, this word is a cognate of the word translated humble. We have the word humble later on. And this word here, translated humility, is more than that. It's literally humility of mind. Humility of mind. It's your thinking. Put on the servant's garment of a humble mindset towards one another. Towards one another. Now, we see that same word, humble, but only part of it at the end of the verse. God gives grace to the humble. But here it's the humble mind. Humility of mind or thinking. Put on the servant's garment of a humble mindset, as we're going to see, towards one another. It's a command. He's not speaking of false humility for the sake of self. That's pride. Oh, you know, he's not speaking of falsehood. He's speaking of genuine, humble mindset towards one another. It's what, uh, it's what uh, Nick read in Philippians. Turn to Philippians chapter 3. It's the same word there. And it's translated mind there also, humility of mind. Philippians chapter 3, and let's look at verse 2. We've already read through this portion, but... It's, it's a mindset. It's a, it's a way to think. Change the way you think. Put it on. It needs to be in the context of serving uh, one another, as we're going to see. Seeing others is more important than yourself. Look at Philippians chapter 2, verse 3. Do nothing from selfishness or empty conceit. Philippians 2, verse 3. Don't do anything from self-motivation or vainglory, but in contrast... With, here's our word, humility of mind, lowly thinking, lowly thinking. Let each one of you regard one another as more important than himself. Put on the servant's mindset of thinking of others as more important. Put on that apron, put it on. Do not merely look out for your own personal interests, but also the interests of others. And notice, this is the mindset of Christ. This is the mindset of Christ. And it has to do with obedience to God's will for the sake of you and me. And it's the same thing. Obedience to God's will for the sake of each other. You're more important than my will. God's will relating to you through me is more important than my will. Look at uh, verse 5, Philippians 3, 2, 5, or 2, 5, excuse me. Have this attitude which was also in Christ Jesus, literally mind who although he existed in the form of God, did not regard equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself, taking the form of what? A bondservant. The Lord didn't come to be served, but to serve and to give his life a ransom. And being made in the likeness of men, being found in appearance of men, he what? Here is humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Put on the servant's garment of humility of mind. And in context, obey the Lord in relationship to your brothers and sisters in Christ. Jesus considered us more important than himself, and he did so by obeying the Father. That's how he did it. That's how he did it. True humility of mind does not see self over others, but sees others as more important and obeys God in the context of truth and faith. For their best interest. You know, there's one verse that really describes a part of humility quite well. 2 Corinthians 3 5. Not that we are adequate to consider anything as coming from ourselves. There's nothing within me that can do anything for God. But, but he says, but our adequacy is from God. I believe that God is faithful and he'll do what he says. That's humility. I believe who God really is and I see myself for who I am. That's lowliness of mind. Seeing oneself where we really are. 
The Apostle Paul was an example of serving and obeying. You know, it's interesting. There's this saying in Christendom, well, when someone says, I'm humble, they're no longer humble. Well, that's not true. That's not true. The Apostle Paul said he came with humility of mind, serving the Lord, Acts chapter 20. Let me read part of that. Acts chapter 20, verse 18. And when they had come to him, he said to them, you yourselves know the first day I set foot in Asia, Paul tells these elders, how I was with you the whole time, serving the Lord with all humility of mind. Humility. True humility of mind takes on the mindset of Christ, which is one of obedience in the context of faith for the sake of others. When's the last time you obeyed God rather than your own will for the sake of others? When's the last time you had that conflict in your life? It was obey God for their sake or do your own thing. You younger men, be likewise be subject to your elders back in 1 Peter 5. And all of you, every one of us, put on the servant's garment of humility of mind towards one another. But how do we do that? How do we do that? There's no way to do that apart from having the mindset of Christ, having his thinking in our hearts. And there's no way of having the mind of Christ apart from walking and abiding in Christ. You know, Jesus is gentle and what? Humble in heart. We're to put on that humble heart of humility towards one another. We need to abide in Jesus and obey. Trust and obey. Put on the apron of humility of mind to serve one another by obeying his commands. Remember we saw in the last chapter that each one has received a special gift, 1 Peter 4? We are to employ it in serving one another as good stewards of the manifold grace of God, right? By his grace, rightly think of your brothers and sisters as more important than yourself. Clothe yourselves with the servant's garment of a right mind, obeying the Lord. Obeying the Lord. You know, things happen in situations where we are immediately prompted by God's word, and we need to act upon those things in relationship to one another for the benefit of those rather than for our own will and desires. By his grace, think rightly about your brothers and sisters in Christ. All of you clothe yourselves with humility towards one another. Servant's garment of a humble mind towards one another. Obey the Lord. Obey the Lord. The key to submission is humility. It's seeing oneself rightly and thus trusting in the Lord. I'm not adequate, but he is, and I trust you. And since you're God, I believe what you say, and I'm going to do what you say by your strength. I believe you'll help me. Now, why uh, is it that he says to do this? Because he says it's an issue of pride versus humility. You're either prideful because you think you know it yourself and you're doing your own thing, or you are placing the mindset of Christ in your heart through the word that you might serve others. Notice he says here the reason. You younger men, back in 1 Peter 5, 5, likewise be subject to your elders, and all of you clothe yourselves with humility towards one another. And here we go. Why? For God is opposed to the proud, but gives grace to the humble. One of the reasons younger men submit to your elders, one of the reasons we have to clothe ourselves with humility towards one another, to take up the servant garment of a humble mindset like Christ is because God is opposed to the proud, but gives grace to the humble. If you don't take this mindset up, God is against you. Now, if you're not saved, obviously he's opposed to you. But there's a principle here. God's not with you in what you're doing when we're proud. But his grace is with us when we're humble. This is a quotation from Proverbs 3.34. Let's turn to Proverbs 3.34 just for a second. Proverbs 3.34, and, and it's a quotation directly from the, the Greek translation of the Old Testament, which was a couple hundred years before Christ. What you're going to read in your Bibles is a translation of the Hebrew, and there's a slight nuance, but it's spirit-inspired. I think the nuance will be helpful later on when we see what God lifts us out of, out of in the in proper time. Proverbs 3.33, actually go back one verse. The curse of the Lord is on the house of the wicked. That's not good. But he blesses the dwelling of the righteous. Isn't that great? Proverbs 3.34 Though he scoffs at the scoffers, yet he gives grace to the afflicted. 
The proud are scoffers, and the humble are those who are brought low through affliction. They're the afflicted. We're going to see that these believers in Asia Minor have been brought low by affliction. By the way, God has a way of bringing us to humility by difficulties in our lives. But he is with us. He cares for us. He doesn't leave us in that place. He gives his grace, and as we'll see, he cares for us. Back to 1 Peter. God is opposed to the proud. Very simple principle. The term opposed speaks of a continual habitual action that is real. It's not theoretical. The Greek uh, mood says this is the real deal. He is opposed to the proud. The term opposed speaks of setting oneself against, resisting, being hostile towards. God is against the proud. And by the way, those who don't know Christ, they're proud. If you don't know Christ, you're you're prideful, just like all of us were before. We're walking in the context of sinful pride, never having humbled ourselves before Christ to believe in his son, or for the Lord to believe in his son, Jesus Christ. God is opposed to the self-sufficient. God is opposed to the self-reliant. God is opposed to the self-focused. God is opposed to the selfishly ambitious. And when we believers function like non-believers, what I gather from this passage is God is not with us, but against us. Yes, he's still our God. We have, he's, he's our Savior. But he's not with us in what we're doing. He's not with us. You see, throughout Scripture, the Lord was with them. That's when they were obeying. He's opposed. He's opposed to the proud. And when we believers function like this, we see the reality of God's attitude. It's a real deal. The ramifications of this verse is if you're not clothing yourself with humility of mind towards others, seeing others as more important than yourself, obeying God, then God is opposed to that. This is not good. Do you want God to be opposed to you? Be self-sufficient. Be self-sufficient. Rely on your own strength and abilities. See yourself as more important than others. It's totally contradictory to the mindset of Christ and contradictory to the character of our God and the way we are as believers are commanded to be. You know, there may be some of you believers who have not clothed yourselves with humility towards one another by serving one another. You may be following certain things here and there. You haven't let the mindset of Christ permeate your heart in regards to one another. And guess what? You wonder why it seems like God is against you. Or maybe this is your answer. You younger men, likewise, be subject to your elders. All of you clothe yourselves with humility towards one another. Put on the servant's garb of a humble mind like Christ towards one another. For God has opposed the pride, but notice this wonderful contrast. But gives grace to the humble. And remember I shared that word from Proverbs. It's the afflicted. He gives grace to those who are humble in heart and mind. Those who are afflicted. Those who are brought low. God continually, habitually gives grace to the humble. Those afflicted, those trusting Christ, those obeying him, those suffering, doing what is right. Those recognizing their inadequacy, but trusting in the Lord and believing what he said. Those seeing others as more important than themselves for the good and glory of God. We're commanded to be humble, and if you are, God gives you grace. He gives grace. Grace is his favor in Christ. We don't deserve it. He enables us to do what he calls us to do, the grace to endure the difficulties, the grace to persevere, the grace to obey and do what is right. He gives grace to the humble. You humble yourself in regards to one another and ultimately yourself. He gives grace. He gives grace. When we submit to God and clothe ourselves with humility of mind towards one another, God's grace is given. His grace. The power and ability to do what he calls you to do, the power and strength to endure what he leads you through, his grace is sufficient, his power is perfected in weakness. Now sometimes... This humility or this lack of humility comes from sin and we need to confess. Look at James chapter 4 again. Sometimes we need to confess. Again, First Peter is written to believers who I believe are doing the right thing and they're to be encouraged. 
He doesn't tell them to repent here. He tells them, hey, think this way. God has God gives grace to the humble. He cares for you. But in James, the implication is there needs to be repentance. Look at James chapter 4 again. Or do you think, verse 5, that the Scripture speaks to no purpose? He jealously desires the Spirit which he has made to dwell in us, but he gives a greater grace. Therefore, it says, God is opposed to the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Therefore, submit, therefore, to God. Resist the devil. We're going to see in our next week, resist the devil, right? He's part of this temptation when you're suffering, by the way. Resist the devil, he will flee from you. Draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands. This is called repentance. Your sinners, purify your heart, you double-minded. Be miserable and mourn, and let your laughter be turned to mourning, let your joy to gloom. Humble yourselves in the presence of the Lord, and he will exalt you. Sometimes we haven't been humble and we need to repent. God is gracious. He'll forgive you. And he gives grace to the humble. Brothers and sisters, get your hearts right. Repent if needed. Be miserable and mourn over your sin, but praise God for the forgiveness. Clothe your hearts with submission and humility towards one, with submission to God in humility towards one another. All of us are commanded to do so. And the justification is pretty simple. God's against you, or he's for you. It's pretty simple. Now, with this, Peter strengthens now, back in 1 Peter chapter 5, what he's just shared. He strengthens it and adds a therefore and gives a command, very basic. See, he said, young men, submit to your elders. All of you be humble towards one another, have that humility of mind. But he's going to make relay that all this really is a humility towards God. You know, it's not simply an obedience to that specific thing. It comes from a mindset of humbling oneself before God. Look at uh, verse 6. Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, that he may exalt you at the proper time, casting all your anxiety upon him, for he cares for you. These are great verses. These are great verses. And I'm sure most of you probably memorize these verses and how, how great they are, but yet I think we're going to see they're so much greater in light of the context of what these believers were suffering and about to suffer. The command we see here is humble yourselves, and it's in a continual habitual mood or, or, or voice or tense. Continually lower yourself before the living God, as we're going to see. See yourself rightly, not false humility, that's, 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 that's false. It's not true. But a genuine right heart. Clothe yourselves with humility of mind towards one another because God is opposed to the proud, gives grace to the humble. Therefore, see that? Humble yourselves. And we're going to see it's under, it's under God, the mighty hand of God. You see, all true humility is ultimately towards the Lord. And then it's manifest in the commands towards one another. So he says, therefore, because God is opposed to the proud and gives grace to the humble, humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God. Lower yourself under God. Submit to God. Because if you don't, he's against you. But if you do, he's for you. And notice the description. Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God. The term translated mighty here speaks of power and strength and might. And God is, is all-powerful. He's a mighty God. And when we are tempted in suffering for doing what is right, we may be tempted to think that the difficulties we're encountering or the people that are against us are powerful. But we need to see God as almighty and all-powerful. It's interesting Peter brings in this term, mighty hand. If you've read the Old Testament, and if you're aware of Deuteronomy and other places, this term is reserved almost uniquely for speaking of God when he delivered the Israelites from the Egyptians. He is a mighty God who delivered these slaves from the greatest superpower ever through mighty deeds and signs and wonders. He's a mighty God. And guess what? He cares for you. He cares for you. Look at Deuteronomy 
chapter 4. Let's turn this. There's more than nine references in Deuteronomy to the mighty hand of God and the Israelites, but it, 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 it's kind of summarized here in Deuteronomy chapter 4. Deuteronomy 4, verse 33, and I can't give you much of the context time's sake, but I think we'll get the idea of what's being said here when we read through it. Has any people, Deuteronomy 4.33, has any people heard the voice of God speaking from the midst of fire as you have heard it and survived? Or has a God tried to make for himself a nation from within another nation by trials, by signs, by wonders, by war, and by a mighty hand, and by an outstretched arm, and by great terrors, as the Lord did Lord, your God did for you in Egypt before your eyes. To you it was shown that you might know that the Lord, he is God. And there is no other besides him. He revealed his mighty hand to them that they would know he is God. And when Peter refers to the mighty hand of God, it's God. He's in control of everything. Humble yourself under him. He's going to take care of you. Your enemies, your, your, your difficulties, they're nothing. They're nothing compared to him. He's going to take care of you. Humble yourself under the mighty hand of God. So often in difficulties and trials, we are prideful. We are prideful by not acknowledging the reality in our hearts that God is who he says he is, that he is mighty, all-powerful, he is above all. We have difficulties and we, we crumble under the worry or concern of what might happen not recognizing what god has said you see he's in control and notice we're to continually habitually humble ourselves under his mighty hand and there is a promise it's a promise it's a great promise verse six humble yourselves therefore under the mighty hand of god that he may exalt you at the proper time we saw this also in James. The term exalt means to lift up, means you're low. The context is afflicted from difficulties for following Jesus Christ. Humble yourself that he may lift you up at the proper time. That he may lift you up at the right time. Jesus had to go through the sufferings for the glories to follow. You may be suffering very severely. You're in a lowly state. Humble your heart before the Lord also, that he may exalt you at the proper time. The term proper time really speaks of appropriate time, at the right time. It's not the right time yet. It will come. It will come. He's going to exalt you at the proper time. And I think part of that includes, notice what he says down in verse 10 partially. Just look down a little farther. And after you have suffered a little while, the God of what? He gives grace to the afflicted, right? The God of what? All grace. He's opposed to the proud, but gives grace to the humble who called you to his eternal glory in Christ. This amazing reality will himself perfect, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. To him be the dominion forever and ever. Amen. He's going to do it. You're going to suffer for a little while, but he's going to exalt you at the proper time, obviously being glorified, but even in the midst of being strengthened. Again, look at uh, the book of James one last time. James chapter 4. After he commands them to submit to God and resist the devil and to get your heart right, notice what he says in verse 10. James 4. Humble yourselves in the presence of the Lord and he will exalt you. Humble yourselves. Go before the Lord and see yourself rightly. Confess any sin if needed. See yourself rightly, Lord. I'm yours. You are so gracious. You died for my sins. You saved me. I'm your servant. What you asked me to do is good because you're good and do us good. Help me obey you, to trust you, to rely on you, to do what you say in relationship to every situation and every person. Help me, Lord God. Humble yourself under his mighty hand. Now, we're going to see part of a lack of humility is actually worry and anxiety, by the way. You see, the temptation for people in difficulties is to worry. Is to worry. You may have followed the Lord completely, and now you're suffering for it. Now it's a temptation to worry about it. 
Notice how he says this in verse 7, casting, back in 1 Peter 5, casting all your anxiety upon him because he cares for you. This seems out of place. And we've memorized these verses. Cast your cares upon him because he cares for you. But if you look at this, it's a participle. It's an ing word. It doesn't stand alone. You can't say a phrase like running to the store. There's something connected to it. I was running to the store. And here, what is connected to it is humble yourselves, casting all your anxiety on the Lord. Humble yourselves, casting all your anxiety on the Lord. The term casting means to throw, to throw. Throw it on him. Throw your worry on the Lord. But you've got to humble yourself. You see, because if you're prideful, you hold on to your worry. You're trying to figure it out. It's gotta, what's going to happen? No, 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 no. Give it to him. You see, it's pride to not trust that he can handle it. It's pride to not trust that God is a mighty God who can handle all your problems. It's pride to not trust him. It is pride to worry. And we are all tempted and we all yield at times. And it's especially tempting when you're suffering for doing what is right. And that's what these believers were. He says, casting your cares upon the Lord. How do I do that? How do I cast my care upon the Lord? Turn to Philippians 4. How do I do it practically? I have a relationship with him. I talk to him. I pray. I give it over to him. Look at Philippians chapter 4. And we're going to start in verse 4 because there's some principles that lead up to this that are just what we're seeing here also. Philippians 4 verse 4. Rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say rejoice. Let your forbearing spirit be known to all men. The Lord is near. Hey, mighty God is near. Don't worry, okay? He says, be anxious for what? Nothing. Anxiety is a sin, by the way. It's a sin because it's the opposite of faith in Christ. We're all sinners. We've all experienced it. It's a sin. He says, be anxious for nothing, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be known to God. Lord God, the situation is concerning me. I obeyed you, and now I don't have a job. I, I, how are we going to provide? Lord God, I'm going to trust you to lead me and guide me to take care of me. Lord God, help me find the work I need. Lord God, I'm bringing this before you. Cast your cares upon him. Talk to the Lord. Share in prayer your concerns with him. Thank you, Lord. I trust that you are mighty and above all these things, and you're going to do what is right. You're going to do what is right. I trust you. He says here, Be anxious for nothing, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be known to God, and the peace of God, which surpasses comprehension, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Let me ask you this. Have you been prideful lately and worrying? Confess it. God's faithful. He'll forgive you. Cast your cares upon him. Acknowledge it in prayer. Be thankful for who he is. He's a mighty God. We're not God. That's why we're anxious. And when, we, when we're not anxious, we're acting like God because we're taking care of it on our own. Trust the Lord. Trust the Lord. Lord, there are people speaking evil. I might lose my job. Lord, this relationship might be over because I obeyed you. But I thank you. You're going to work things out for your glory. You're mighty. You're powerful. You're going to do it for your good. I trust you. I'm, I'm weak. I can't do this, Lord God, but you can. I trust you. Thank you, Lord God, no matter how difficult. And sometimes we need to cast over and over and over again. Keep throwing, 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 because it comes right back. Cast your cares upon him. Throw them on him. He's God, and he's mighty, and he can handle it. We can't. We can't. And he loves us. As we'll see in the end of the passage, he cares for us. He cares for us. Look at the end of verse um, 7. Casting all your anxiety upon him because. Why? He cares for you. The God of the universe cares for his children in Christ. He cares for us. You know, some of you may not have gone through difficulties enough to have a worry yet. Well, I believe me, it's coming. God cares for us. God cares for us. Your suffering has not gone unnoticed. 
Cast your care upon him, for he cares for you. Nothing passes by him. He loves you so much. He sent his son. Let me share a few passages in closing here. Turn to Luke chapter 12. God cares for us. And he is God. He's mighty. Humble yourself, therefore, under his mighty hand. Cast your cares upon him. He'll exalt you at the proper time. Trust the Lord. Follow in the footsteps of Christ. Don't revile and return. Don't utter threats. You can trust yourself to the Lord. Luke chapter 12, verse 6. Jesus says, Are not five sparrows sold for two cents? That's not very much. And yet not one of them is forgotten by God. He cares about the sparrow, right? Indeed, the very hairs of your head are numbered. And by the way, some of that number's changing each day, right? He says, are numbered. He says, do not fear. You are more valuable than many sparrows. Don't fear. God cares for you. Look at Psalm 139. Turn to Psalm 139. This is David's uh, sharing his heart before the Lord, which is what we should do. Instead of worrying, Lord, I'm going to bring it all before you, and I'm going to thank you. Even though I don't know how it's going to work out, but I trust by your character and nature, you're mighty, you're good, you're going to work it for good. I trust that. Thank you. Keep bringing them before him. Psalm 139, verse 14. I will give thanks to the Lord, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are thy works, and my soul knows it very well. Verse 15 of Psalm 139. My frame was not hidden my frame was not hidden from thee when I was made in secret and skillfully wrought in the depths of the earth. Thine eyes have seen mine unformed substance, and in thy book they were all written, the days that were ordained for me. When as yet there was not one of them, how precious are also are thy thoughts to me, O God. How vast is the sum of them. If I should count them, they would outnumber the sand. When I awake, I am still with thee. How precious are thy thoughts. The Lord cares. The Lord cares. We can get a sinful view of God in the midst of difficulties. He's a mighty God who cares for us. Cast your cares upon him. One last passage. Turn to Romans chapter 8. Romans chapter 8, 28. We're all probably familiar with this verse. And we know that God causes all things to work together for good to those who love God, to those who are called according to his purpose. We know God is doing good. Thank you, Lord God. I've got the situation. It is, it is burdening my heart so much. I, I don't know what to do. I'm going to give it to you, Lord. I trust you. I can't, I can't handle it. He says here, For whom he foreknew, he also predestined to become conformed to the image of Christ, that he might be the firstborn among many brethren, whom he predestined, these he also called. Whom he called, these he also justified. Whom he justified, these he also glorified. And then he says in verse 31, What shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who could be against us? Hey, guess what? He gives grace to the humble. He's for you. He's opposed to the proud. Humble yourself, therefore. Humble yourself before God. He who did not spare his own son, but delivered him up for us all, how will he not also with him freely give us all things? Back to our passage, and let's finish up. Verse 6. Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, that he may exalt you at the proper time, casting all, not a little bit, but all, all your anxiety upon him, He's a mighty God, for he cares for you. He cares for you. There are some of you here today who have never humbled yourself before the mighty hand of God. You have never acknowledged from your heart that you're a sinner in need of salvation. You've never acknowledged the truth of what God declares, that he will judge the world, that he declares that all men should repent that you're a sinner in need of a Savior. You haven't humbled yourself. I said, Lord God, I need to be saved. Turn to Jesus Christ. Believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. And thou shalt be saved. Brother and sister, what are you going through? Is it because you've obeyed the Lord? We have wonderful advice and commands here. 
Younger men, younger, submit. It's for your protection. God's protecting his watch over your souls. Everyone else, put on the servant's garment of humility of mind towards one another. Obey the Lord. Therefore, humble yourself under his mighty hand, because he's opposed to the proud, but gives grace to the humble. And how do we humble ourselves in the midst of these things? Casting all your cares upon him, for he cares for you. Let's pray. Dear Lord, I thank you so much for your word. It is so encouraging. And I pray for anyone here who is still in their pride, has not humbled themselves before you, still sees themselves as the Lord of their lives and not you as God of all above them, calling upon them to repent. I pray they would. I pray they would turn to the only Savior, Jesus Christ, your Son, be convicted of their sin and believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and be saved. Father, I pray for those here who you're opposed to right now, in, in practically speaking, because there's pride, there's worry, there's those things. That any of us believers that are thinking this way would just confess and humble ourselves before you that you might exalt us at the proper time. And Father, for those who are suffering for doing what is right, tempted to fear and worry and give up, I pray we would cast our cares upon you because you care for us. And in every situation, may we do that with every anxiety because you you love us and you gave your son for us. We thank you for your word. We thank you for this time in Jesus' precious name. Amen.